Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 25. Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flip Masters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have a wonderful guest here today who's really experienced. I really admire the success he's had in his transition from corporate America into being a full-time real estate investor and seeing the freedom that that affords him. I have a good time masterminding with him at a networking lunch that we go to monthly in Huntington Beach, which I highly recommend that you get together with fellow peers and mastermind with them, bounce ideas off each other, talk about the market, what you see, what's working, what's not. It's really helpful as you are an entrepreneur out on your own to be you know, talking to other people and learning about what's working. Anyway, with that, um, I'd love to welcome Chris Weiler to the show. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Holly, how you doing? Great. Hey, um, why don't you start by giving our audience a little background on your backstory and what you did before real estate investing and how you landed into what you're doing today? Wow. Wow. Gosh, uh, such an open question, but I'm happy to answer it. Um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I was in corporate America for about 15 years. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, you know, I absolutely loved it. It, it was great, but uh, and I made very decent money, but it was just never 100% fulfilling because it was, I, I just always had this bug of wanting to be an entrepreneur, doing something myself, but just really had no idea, you know, how that would work or what that would entail. And, um, you know, I bought my first house uh, in Irvine in, oh God, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, in 1998. That was, uh, you know, I uh, bought it for myself, primary residence, thinking I was completely getting ripped off uh, buying a three-bedroom house for $247,000. Whoa! <laughs> and, you know, a, a number of years later, you know, when we wanted to move, I, I ended up selling the house for, you know, three times more than what I put into it. And I started thinking... Okay, you know, there's there's a lot of potential here in the in the real estate industry, and I kind of put that on the back burner for a little bit. And when I got my MBA, and um, you know, a little bit after that, uh, you know, I, I came across, uh, believe it or not, a seminar that I went to, learned a little more about real estate, and and probably more than anything else, uh, it really gave me an opportunity to look to see, look around the room, and say, you know, what is it that I have that maybe I could contribute that's that's different from others and you know for me it was a couple of things one it was good access to capital and uh, also that when I put my mind to something uh, I, I don't let it go and you know I went to one of the people teaching the class and I talked to them about possibly financing one of their deals and they were like ah, you know we already have somebody and they're really great we have a great relationship with them but it happened to be a couple weeks later uh, that their financing fell through. They came to me and wanted me to finance a project within basically less than a week. Uh, and fortunately, it was a very local project. So I was able to look at the numbers, do a ton of due diligence. And, uh, you know, it ended up working out. Uh, worked out really well. We developed some trust. And uh, that's, that's really how I started in, in the industry is that they, uh, they just kept on giving me more and more leads. I ended up doing quite a few deals with them. 
And then I started networking with people and meeting them and just started branching out. And that's how I got into it. So you started out then as a private money lender. That was your first experience, right? Yes. Yes, right. yes. So many people start down the real estate investing path by being a wholesaler. So I like that yours is a little different. A lot of people start with no money. And so that's why they wholesale is to grow a pool of money. But you had some money from an unintentional real estate deal, I guess, or you had a bunch of cash and then you're like, okay, how can sure. I invest this? But sure, sure. it was more I'm sorry I mean, to, to no, cut your finger, Holly, but to also remember too that the people on the other side of my deal had no money invested in the deal. So they were, and they weren't wholesalers. They were, you know, basically buying the properties and reselling them right away as well. So yeah, I guess they were kind of like wholesalers, but it was transactional funding. It was something that's not done as much anymore now, but uh, yeah, you're right. That's, that was my shtick. That was what I, you know, I was good at and that was what they were good at. And personally we made a good uh, match together. Okay, so that's how you started, but I know you've evolved and you're not just a transactional lender anymore. So give us the rest of the story. Where did you go next? What did you sure, do? Next? Sure. Well, you know, just to dive a little bit deeper into that, you know, it wasn't all of a sudden I woke up one day and said, hey, I want to be a transactional funder. Uh, you know, obviously there had to be a lot of research on my part to kind of look into, you know, what kind of forms would I need? Is this something that I really want to do? And for me, I ended up reaching out to a lot of different people. Um, there's a website, I'm sure plenty of your followers uh, know about it, called Bigger Pockets. I uh, did a lot of research on that and, and called up uh, and contacted a whole bunch of different transactional funders to see if this is something that I want to do. Well, most of them wouldn't give me the time of day. Uh, some that did were, let's just say maybe a little condescending, but there was one guy in particular who was really great and kind of put me under his wing and helped me out a lot. We ended up doing deals together and such. Um, so that was really helpful for me when I first began. Um, now, I think what really happened is that that was a finite period of time when that was really popular. Uh, and when the banks kind of caught on and they put on some deed restrictions, transactional funding kind of evolved and it became more of, um, it became more fix and flip funding. So more of a longer term kind of funding. And whereas I saw the tea leaves and I evolved into that, I saw a number of other transactional funders who didn't who kind of stuck with the business and stuck with it and where they made really good money before they were making less and less and less. So for me, kind of the lesson learned there is that you, you really as an entrepreneur, have to be flexible. You have to read the tea leaves, see what's in the distance, and not hold on to only what you're doing, especially if you feel like it might not be around forever. Um, so that evolved more into fix and fit funding. Um, it also, uh, because I was doing this transactional funding all over the country, it introduced me to a number of different people. Mm. And I saw this one guy in Ohio, and he was buying properties 10 at a time from this holding company and, you know, reselling, basically being a good wholesaler and reselling them to, uh, to investors. And he was leaving a lot of meat on the bone. I'm like, wow, this is a really good wholesaler. And I did a couple deals with them. One of them, to be quite honest, you didn't go as well. Uh, but the benefit of that was I saw how professional he was, you know, I saw how, you know, it didn't go well in the beginning, but he ended up salvaging the deal. And it really showed me how well he, he knew how to do things within Ohio politics and how to get things done. And I ended up coming, you know, going to him and said, you know, hey, instead of wholesaling these deals off, 
uh, why don't we see if we can go to your, your source, get a whole bunch of properties, and just cash flow between the two of us. You know, create a company and cash flow between the two of us. And, you know, it took a little back and forth, but he agreed. And, and because of that, I now have a landlording business as well. So, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I love it. So, how many homes do you have? And now, are you just in Ohio with that partner? How many homes do you mm -hmm. have there in Ohio? Uh, with that partner, we were over 100 properties at one point. Uh, wow. But, uh, yeah, we, we've since then, and, uh, and that's a story within itself, I sold some of those properties off to a hedge fund, got all my initial capital back, uh, and we're right around 70 right now and still building. Wow, fantastic. And you still like that market, I assume, since you're still building. You know, I, I really love that market. Um, I will tell you any market like that, if you're talking about, you know, we tend to classify them, as you know, as A, B, C, you know, kind of properties. And I, I would give our properties anywhere from a strong C to a B minus. And, and anytime you're in a C area, it's really exceptionally important that you have either property management that you really trust or kind of create your own property management site. Because you'll find a lot of the properties, the, um, the maintenance cost and fee to advertise uh, we're looking at over you know 20 you know 20 25 percent of your incoming rent could be going toward just maintaining your property um, wow that's a really high expense ratio i don't experience that yeah, myself, yeah. but i'm probably higher than that c class of property well yeah you gotta realize most a lot of these properties are 50 plus years old they're fully depreciated you know <laughs> so, yeah they, you know, require a lot of time and effort to, to keep them up. So uh, it's important, you know, very often people are uh, very interested when they see, oh, I can get these properties for $25,000, uh, and look at this potential cash flow. But it's really important that people look into really what are the exact costs to keep up that property uh, and what is realistic. Um, and I think that can, it can be great. Uh, but it can also be very expensive if, uh, if you're not sure of what you're doing. And if you're only buying one or two properties, and let's say that's all the money somebody has, it can be really a problem if one of those properties you have to, I don't know, you lose a tenant. Uh, the tenants don't tend to be quite as uh, stable. Yeah. So it's, it's a great, great market if you've got great systems and a good team in place. Um, and I would say if you can have a number of properties so your risk is spread out um, over a number of properties. Okay. Well, that is super interesting how that evolved. Now, I think you're also doing, or you have been recently doing some fix and flips in California still, where we both live, for those of us that don't know. Yeah, Chris is in Southern California. So tell us about that and um, any other places that you're working. Like, I think you're still doing Florida too, correct? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, um, I've got a few different hubs. Um, one of them is over here in Southern California. I, I like the South Riverside area, so your Temecula, your Murrieta area. Uh, if I'm being totally frank, it was it was really hot for me a, a few years ago when short sales and foreclosures were, were really high. Uh, you could buy properties at a significant discount, uh, and it didn't take very much. A lot of these properties you could buy at a big discount and put very, you know, carpet and paint them, you know, maybe a little bit of upgrade of a kitchen, and you could resell it and make a great, great profit. Um, I'm still able to do that, but just not quite the volume. 
that I have done in the past. Uh, and what I'm finding too is most of the deals that I get are instead of just a carpet and paint and a small rehab, we're talking much larger rehabs, knocking down walls, completely revamping the whole house. Um, so your deals can be good, but it requires a bit more of a experienced investor, you know, with all those connections to, to know, um, you know, how to really make that work. Um, I would say, what a lot of people have got to be very careful of, uh, especially when they're new, if you don't have those connections with those subcontractors, uh, you know this too, Holly, if you've got a big project, you've got two, you know, things going on. And if uh, your plumber, for instance, you know, is backed out and all of a sudden you can't do, you know, anything else, you can't put the woodwork or paint or anything else after until one project is done, your whole project can really start going out uh, into the distance. And that's going to be the absolute killer. So we, as you know, as fix and flippers, we want things to be as quick as possible um, for holding cost purposes and just, you know, for return in general. Your return is much better if you can get done quicker. So. Yep, time is money. Yeah. yeah, I mean, your return goes way up. If you do one deal a year versus two deals a year, I mean, or four deals a year, it just increases your returns sure. financially. Sure. Sure. So uh, to expand on that, so yeah, I do have a couple that are going on in in, uh, in South Riverside right now. Both of them are in Temecula. Both of them are pretty high rehabs um, that are, are taking a little longer to do, uh, which is fine. Uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to those. I, I'm testing out a new market uh, that isn't going so hot, to be honest with you, up uh, in Oregon. Uh, and I haven't quite decided if I'm going to continue. I have two projects going on over there, and one of them is on is about to close. Cross our fingers here. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But that fell out of escrow a couple of times, and um, uh, you, you know, it's it's you always got it. Like I said, you always got to be flexible. Try new markets. Uh, this one has been particularly difficult to find good subcontractors. Uh, mm -hmm. And because of that, the projects, it got really extended out. And I'm also finding really finicky buyers, you know, up there too. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not my favorite market right now. Uh, if I had to pick one market uh, specifically for picks and flips, that's my favorite right now, it would be Florida. Uh, Florida is a judicial state. So there's a lot of those foreclosures, a lot of those, um, you know, short sales that are still kind of going on over there. Uh, they're backlogged much more so than we had, were, you know, in California. So uh, I'm still getting a lot of really good deals um, out in Florida. And I've got a great team out there, people that I really, really trust. And, you know, we're doing, you know, anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15 fix and flips at a time, you know, out there in Florida. Wow, that's huge. That's a huge volume. How often do you yourself go back to Florida? You know, honestly, not as much as I should. Um, I, I should be going out there more often, but it's just so easy these days, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with the internet and all the due diligence and everything I can do over the internet uh, to make sure everything is going on well. And to be quite honest, I've been working with these same people for years. So that trust is really developed. Um, my biggest fear is, to be quite honest, is that I hope I'm not just relying too much on that. I'm a big believer in face-to-face -face interactions, really, you know, build that relationship. And uh, I need to put myself in front of them a little more often to make sure that that relationship is maintained. So um, I think I'll have to be going back out there sometime soon. <laughs> so do you go a couple times a year? Yeah, yeah, one or two times a year. 
Yeah. It's a long flight. I mean, I've done that flight to Florida. I wouldn't be wanting to do it all the time either. I don't blame you. That's yeah. great. I mean, the, the fact that you've built such great relationships and you've got trustworthy team members, I mean, that's fantastic. And obviously you've treated them well, which I think is a huge key factor in getting people excited to work with you long-term. You got to treat people well and then they'll want to work with you. So you're obviously very good at that. You know, I'll, I'll take it one step further, Holly. I would say that a lot of my success and a lot of the reason I'm able to get new business is when other people screw up. When other people, that's how I got my guys in Florida. They, you know, that's how I got my first deal. My first deal, you know, as I was saying earlier, is because somebody had funding and they fell out last minute. I have, ne- if I've, I have never ever not funded a deal after committing to it ever, ever, and I never will. Uh, and the reason why is because I want to maintain that relationship. It's it's horrible as an investor if you come across this amazing deal, you got everything set up. You're expecting your funding to come through, and then it doesn't come through. It's horrible. Um, so whether you're a funder or really any aspect of real estate or, gosh, any aspect of working with people at all, uh, you know, really be trustworthy and stick to what you say and do what you're going to say. People like predictability. And I'm not the least expensive person out there for funding. I'm just not. Um, but what I do provide is a predictable I'm very predictable, and the guys know that the funding will always be there. Um, so be predictable, and you will succeed tremendously over others. That, that's a huge, huge factor in my book. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I found that even with realtors. I, mean, I bought my first 100 houses at auction, the next 100 houses. I bought mostly through realtors. I think maybe five wholesale deals and all the rest with the realtors. And I remember them being many times surprised when I would go to them and say, I'll buy the deal with you and then I'll resell it with you. And they'd be surprised when I would come back to resell. I'm like, well, that's what I said. And I keep forgetting that not everybody acts in integrity and is a man or woman of their word just because that's how I operate. And then of course, I'm always shocked and mortified when someone doesn't do what they say they're going to do. And yeah, my husband's always saying I'm too trustworthy, trust not trustworthy can't ever be too trustworthy but yeah you definitely you know what you can never be too you know here's the way i look at it um if somebody does go back on their word sometimes it can be a blessing especially if it's in the beginning of the relationship or you haven't invested a lot of money uh, because it now lets you know the character of that person and if you should ever move forward with them um it's, it's rare when you've developed a relationship with somebody and they've been very trustworthy all along and all of a sudden they don't, they do something wrong. So as long as it's the beginning, sometimes I find it's a blessing. Hey, thank you for letting me know you're not somebody I ever want to work with again. Yes, I love it. And for those that can't see, Chris, he's got a big smile on his face. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us about um, either an interesting deal or a very lucrative deal where it was a home run. Give people some inspiration here, what, what they might be able to hope to accomplish. Sure, sure. Well, how about I expand on that, on that one deal that I, I told you about in Ohio? Okay. Um, I haven't talked a lot about, I mean, about that one. If you remember, it was uh, the guy who was the wholesaler. He was doing 10 at a time to investors, and we came to an agreement that uh, we would buy a whole bunch ourselves. Um, well, you know, we went to the uh, to the it's a holding company, and it bought all of the uh, it, all the assets of this defunct hedge fund. And they really were only interested in commercial properties. They were really only interested in the multifamily. But they and they were located in Florida, and they had all these single family and all these duplexes. And 
they were based in Ohio. Uh, you know, a lot of them were underwater or they didn't have tenants in them or they need to be fixed up. And they're paying property taxes on these hundreds of properties you know, sitting there in Ohio. And we knew they, we knew they were a distressed seller. Uh, I mean, distressed from the standpoint that they just didn't really care. They made all their money back from all those, single, you know, all those uh, multifamily and commercial stuff. They weren't terribly interested in this other stuff, and they weren't going to dump more money into fixing up the properties um, because they had no really good local representation. So, um, my partner and I came at them with an offer uh, to buy 100 properties, and uh, their initial response. Uh, I guess the G-rated version was to tell us to go away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, you know, you know, you can't be afraid as an investor to put in an offer and feel that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. You just you can't be afraid to do that. You put out a whole bunch of if you put in an offer and they accept it right away. At least me as an investor, sometimes I start thinking maybe I offer too much. So they told me. That's too little, and it was probably they really wanted to kind of feel the market. So they did, and unfortunately, you know, they had some offers, and it was other wholesalers. They didn't know that. They thought it was people who had money, and when it came to uh, selling, they couldn't sell it. Uh, so they couldn't wholesale it out. So and they kept on getting these other people that would come through an escrow, and they just couldn't find an end buyer. So they finally they came back to us and they said, "Hey, Chris, are you still willing to purchase these properties?" And I'm like, yeah, of course, but the price has now gone down. I mean, they're the oh. ones that contacted me, so now the price is even lower. Time is money, right? Didn't we talk about that earlier? So, you know, there was some back and forth, but we, we finally came to an agreement. We got an amazing deal on 100 properties in Ohio for pennies on the dollar. Uh, to, to be totally, you know, frank, you know, we went to escrow. Uh, 20 of the properties, the title issues were so bad that we decided to only go forward on 80 of them. Uh, and when I say bad, it's like 30 grand is owed to John Smith and John Smith can't be found. I mean, Oh yeah. Am I going to buy a property for less than 30 grand with a 30 grand, you know, lean on it that, you know, title won't put any insurance on. The truth is now because we got such a great deal. I wish we did. I wish I had rolled the dice on those 20 bad ones. But look, in the end, I got 80 properties. Um, so my first foray into being a landlord was buying 80 properties at once. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Learning before that. Uh, but what I did know is I had a really good team um, on the ground. Uh, and you know, we, we had those 80 properties, um, half of them were already rented out. Uh, they were already with a property management company. Uh, what we decided to do was uh, keep uh, the half that were rented out with that property management company. We fully rehab the other half of properties that didn't have tenants in them. Uh, and then as they came online, we created our own property management company. And then once all those houses were rehabbed and we had our own property management company, um, then we brought on those properties from that other property management company back into ours. Um, so currently, it's all you know under our own uh, property management company, which if, if you're going to have a number of properties out of state and we're talking about that B minus and lower class of property, I highly recommend doing your own. Uh, and the reason why is that it's, it's very rare that property management company and your needs are kind of intertwined. I mean, they, they love it when there's maintenance. They usually get some kind of kickback or it's their guys that are doing the maintenance. Uh, so 
I, I sleep better at night knowing that it's, you know, my property management company. So, so we had that great deal. I put a good chunk of change into buying it. I put a good chunk of change, you know, into fixing up the properties. And, you know, I had, I had just every intention of cash flowing these for the rest of my life and just doing a great cash flow on these properties. Uh, but I had a, uh, a hedge fund came along and offered me good money uh, for these properties. And I ended up selling them a third of the properties and got, you know, a big chunk of my money back. So now the majority of these properties are all free and clear and, you know, making good money. How do you um, allocate if you're willing to share? Because I know you have a partner back there. How do you structure who gets what? That's How much good. money? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think uh, the best way to start this is saying everything is negotiable. And just because I did it my way doesn't mean it's right or doesn't mean it's the best. Uh, it worked out for both of us. And the way it worked out is that we would eventually get him toward a 50% ownership in the company. And he's there now, just so that everybody else knows. But it didn't start that way. It started out with him on a salary uh, and with 10% of the business. And then once we got up to 90% uh, tenant occupancy, he got an additional 10%. Uh, and then if everything you know moved along smoothly, he would get 10% a year until with certain other parameters until he got to 50. Now, one way he could accelerate getting to the 50 is if all my initial capital got paid back. And that's what ended up happening. All the initial capital got paid back because of that buyout from that hedge fund. So uh, we are currently 50-50 uh, partners in that deal, of which, remind you, I have, I have no current money invested in. So it's what I guess some would call an infant return. I've got no money invested in it anymore, and uh, the vast majority of the lifting is done by my partners in, his, in our system you know, down there. And that partner, I assume, works full time in this business, right? Um, I would say he's an entrepreneur like myself. Oh, okay. Uh, so I would say the vast majority of his time, yes, this is his okay. primary concern, and he does uh, he does that. But he's also, you know, he still does a couple of things on the side, and sometimes I even fund that. Sometimes we have fix some flips down there, and I fund them, and those are outside of our current business. Okay. The realtor sometimes they'll sell a property, and it's you know not part of our business. So right. uh, I'm okay with that, and, and that was also something that we're always very upfront with each other. Uh, you know, we've developed this relationship over time and it's been very fruitful for both of us. And, uh, you know, if there's anything that was ever like, you know, what do you think, you know, he would bring it up to my attention first. So uh, it's worked out well. Sweet. Well, what a fantastic story. I love that, that you found a great team member and you made a really great win-win situation and opportunity. Let him buy in earn his way into the ownership. I mean, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that whole structure. That's really interesting. Sure. Well, sure. Before we wrap up, tell us a story, if you would share a successful flip story. Since so many of our listeners want to flip houses, it could be in Florida, California, wherever. Tell us like a winner, an inspiration one. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, my, my problem right now is I'm trying to think in my head because there are a lot of them. And, and I, I just, I get so excited about talking about them. And some of them are, uh, are good stories. And, and you, you know what? I, I think one of the, the best things about fix and flips is that you can often get these properties that just look absolutely horrible, just horrible. And, you know, when you, when you redo them up, 
you know, it's just, it's, it's so great seeing those before and after pictures. And um, I mean, I, I remember this one property where, you know, we fixed it up and the prior owner came in and it's like, this is my house. This was my house. And <laughs> just, just couldn't, you know, fathom it. But uh, I, I think a good one, uh, this one was in Menifee of all places. And it was a property that was a, a newer property. It was at the time about, uh, I think it was about three, only about three years old. Oh, wow. Uh, but the property had, uh, you know, basically went uh, to short sale and the people that were living in it, um, hmm, how, how best to put this? They had five Great Danes oh. living in the house. Oh my gosh. Living in the house. I had to so, smell good. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, I mean, it, it, the stairs and the upstairs were all carpeted. That all had to be ripped out because there's this pee, you know, all throughout the carpet. All the woodwork along the stairs was chewed up, so we had to get some craftsmen to fix that. Um, downstairs, and I, I don't see this a lot, but some of these higher-end houses, you, you have these beautiful concrete, you know, dyed concrete flooring with, you know, inlaid tiles, very intricate, and it's really beautiful when it's maintained. Uh -huh. uh, but these dogs and their nails, they like all the major pathways that dug through that beautiful red hue down to like the gray concrete color. So mm. the house didn't look great and the landscaping was completely shot. Um, you know, they had a great looking pool with uh, solar heating that the solar heating needed to be fixed a little bit too. And they had ploppers in the pool and they had this panoramic view. Um, and... I'm, tr I'm trying to remember the numbers on the house, but I, I ended up purchasing it for uh, just over 300, I believe, 300,000. And we ended up putting about 50 into it. Um, and we ended up selling it for half a million dollars. So we awesome. made, yeah, we made, you know, after all expenses and everything, we made about a hundred thousand dollars on it. And probably one of the best parts about it though, was the family who bought it was a uh, was an Orange County family whose father had to move to Menifee and they you know lived in a nice house and they liked living in Orange County and and they had a, a son and a daughter that were very unhappy with the fact that they not only had to move but you know they go in an empire and uh, they ended up getting this house and they were so happy with this house because it was a nicer house than they had I mean this house would be well over a million dollars in anywhere in Orange County. Uh, they had a gorgeous view of the mountains. They had this beautiful pool with a, you know, swim up to bar and ploppers like I said in the pool. And, awesome. Uh, you know, it was just a, a real upgrade for them for their house. So it just made them really, really happy. And it was really good to see that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love that you take satisfaction and fulfillment and pride in making other people happy. I mean, that's a big part of what we do as investors, which I sure. think some people have kind of a negative impression of fix and flip investors that were these sharks going, but that is so not the case. Yeah. I mean, we take eyesore houses, problem houses, turn them into beautiful places for new families to move in and make their new memories and just be so happy. So I'm Absolutely. glad you like that part of the business too. Absolutely. Well, hey, just in final wrap up here, what advice would you give to a new beginning fix and flip investor? Like, what's some of your best advice? Okay. Um, I think uh, to wrap up, some of the best advice, uh, just to reiterate what I said earlier about 
uh, integrity and sticking to what you say you're going to do. Uh, as soon as you're predictable, other people around you are going to appreciate that and they're going to want to work with you, invest with you, do what you want. Uh, realize that although my route was through good access to capital and providing capital for other people to do it, remember that all those people that I provided capital to, especially, you know, fix and flippers, don't put any money into it or very limited amount of money into it. Um, so you could be on the other side of the equation. And if you're predictable and you've got a good deal, you're going to get people like me to want to invest in it. Um, so it's to be upfront and be honest with people, show integrity. And, uh, you know, um, what else? Yeah. is it, to really figure out what you want to do and really stick with it and really push for it. There's a lot of people that say they want to do something and they never follow through on it. Don't be afraid to make that jump and to do it, make a decision and to stick with it. I, I read uh, an, an interesting thing, uh, you know, a few weeks ago that said that people who are successful make their decisions, you know, quickly and they change their mind. It takes some time to change their mind. And a lot of unsuccessful people change their mind very quickly and take forever to make a decision. So make an educated guess, jump into it, learn from your experiences and, and come out here into the uh, entrepreneur pool and have a good time. I love it. Thank you. And I love that advice. I've heard that too. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your experience and giving up of your time to share with others today. We really yeah. appreciate it. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, um, how would they do that? Are you on Facebook or LinkedIn or Bigger Pockets or where's the best way for someone to find you? Those are all great sources. Probably Bigger Pockets or uh, LinkedIn are both good cho uh, choices to get in touch with me. I highly recommend anybody involved in real estate, whether you're a beginner or very experienced, to, to get on a bigger pockets. Um, I've got nothing to gain by saying that, uh, but you know, there's just a lot of people on there and there's a lot of great information you can get from that site. Yep, and go ahead and spell your name out for people if they wanna find you too. Sure, sure, it's Chris Weiler, C-H-R-I-S, last name is W-E-I-L-E-R. Fantastic. And we'll have links to that on our show notes. So with that, go out there and take some action. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, houseflipmasters.com on the podcast page. Also, to get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.